Well, this morning we are continuing on in a series of messages uh, entitled Master Leader. And what we're doing just simply for four weeks is we're looking at different attributes that have really the capacity to make us great leaders. Friends, I am convinced, I said this last week, let me say it today, I am convinced that all leadership is, is influence. In every single one of us, regardless of our age, regardless of our station in life, every single one of us has some degree of influence over others. And therefore, guess what? We're all leaders. Here's the driving question. Are you a good leader or a bad leader? Does your influence make people better or does it make people bitter? So throughout this series, we've been looking at really Jesus And we we have been seeking to try to emulate some of the attributes that he embodied that really made him the master leader. Not just a great leader, but the great leader. So in looking at the life of Jesus, in order to be great leaders, where does it start? Well, three weeks we talked about how it starts with cultivating humility. Humility is not necessarily thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself Less. It's putting others maybe before you. That, that, that's where it starts to be great leaders. Last week when I, I, I uh, visited with you and, and we shared uh, some reflection on God's word, we talked about how really great leaders take seriously their discipleship to the point that we believe ourselves to be disciples who go out to make new disciples, uh, to, to live out that call of Jesus in Matthew 28 where he says, Go! Go and make disciples of all people, baptize them in my name, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded. We are disciples who make more disciples. Today we're going to look at the value of being leaders who serve. Servant leadership has become sort of a buzz fray in in corporate circles in in recent years. Maybe the past 20 years, uh, servant leadership has become just really a buzzword in, in, in corporations. And the reason being is I think uh, the heads of corporations have come to realize that servant leadership has the the ability to enhance work environments for employees and also has the ability to really instill trust in their customers. In fact, countless books have been written on the topic of servant leaderships throughout the years as if corporations in America have been the ones to come up with this idea for a business strategy. But like most all good ideas, they didn't come from the secular world or corporations. Good ideas come from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, though servant leadership may be a new concept that that the secular world and our corporations uh, are, are living with right now, Christians honestly have sought to live out servant leadership through the past 2,000 years of our existence as we have sought to emulate the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we're going to focus our time and attention on a conversation uh, that Jesus had with two of his disciples around leadership. It was James and John. Uh, They came up to Jesus one day and asked him for a favor. And the favor was that they could sit in the places of honor in his coming kingdom. Now, little did these disciples know they would be sitting in seats of honor in God's kingdom, but it wouldn't be through aspiring for greatness. It would be through stooping down and serving and sacrificing for other people. Church, hear me. If any of us dare to seek a place of honor in God's kingdom, it's going to be found in following the Jesus way. It's going to be found in how well, how low we can stoop in service and sacrifice for the sake of other people, primarily people 
that are in need. This morning, the scripture text is Mark chapter 10, and it's going to include at the end our, our, our memory verse for this week. But listen to how this story unfolds with James, John, and Jesus. And, and to me, it's a rather uh, humorous story um, because of how stupid their, their request of Jesus is. But, but listen to God's word. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And so Jesus says, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Can you really drink the cup that I will drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am being baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them in response, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it have, they have been prepared. When the ten other disciples heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognized as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity to, to gather in this space to just hear your life-giving word proclaim and to offer reflection on it. So I pray, Lord, in the midst of these next few moments that you would just bless the words of my lips, the meditation of all our hearts, that they'd be of profit to us and acceptable to you, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are at the part in the gospel narrative where Jesus is trying to prepare himself and his disciples for his hour on the cross. And so in these waning moments with his disciples, Jesus wants to teach them a lesson, not only his disciples then, but I think also his disciples now. And the lesson he wanted to teach them was the heart of a servant. I mentioned this last week, but, but I, I want to say it again. I mentioned it with the children, but let me say it again. The Gospel of Mark is my favorite gospel out of all the gospels. And the reason being is because the Gospel of Mark is known as the Go Gospel. And what I mean by that is Jesus is all about action in the Gospel of Mark. The guy is constantly on the move. Uh, there is very little time spent on, for instance, teaching discourses. No time spent on a genealogy. No time spent on a birth narrative. No. Mark used this, uh, his gospel, in, in, a prevalent uh, verb in it was the present tense verb, verbs for, for 150 different words. So Jesus comes, Jesus says, Jesus stays, Jesus goes, Jesus heals, Jesus helps. Jesus comforts, Jesus uh, demands, Jesus commits, all in the present tense. There are more m m miracles recorded in the Gospel of Mark than any of the other Gospels, which is pretty astounding considering the Gospel of Mark is actually the shortest of the four Gospels. Uh, everything in Mark is in the vivid eyewitness news briefs. Uh, Mark uses the Greek word for the English word immediately. Hear this 42 times. Contrast that with Matthew, who only uses it seven, Luke once, and John not at all. The fast-paced, action-packed gospel has at its purpose, believe it or not, encouragement. 
John Mark is, is writing his gospel to simply encourage a church that is under heavy persecution in the Roman Empire at that time. You see, Mark wanted the church to understand Christ as a suffering servant slash savior who speaks, who acts, who delivers, who heals in the midst of crisis. And maybe that as a side note, a sidebar, that, that could be a, a word of relevancy for us today. Friends, wherever or whenever you find yourself discouraged or alone, the promise of the gospel of Mark is that Christ is always present working both diligently and sacrificially to bring health and wholeness to you, mind, body, and soul. But he does so not on a throne high and lofty up. He does so as a servant who's willing to stoop down low to serve and sacrifice for the sake of others. In fact, the acknowledged key verse, the memory verse for this week, Mark 10, 45, is actually the verse the entire gospel is built on. It's built around so when we studied Romans in the fall, uh, we talked about how the, the key verse in Romans that the whole letter is built around is Romans 1, verse 16. Uh, Paul says to the church, uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first the Jew, then the Gentile. Mark's gospel, again, has another key verse, verse 10, 45. Whole gospel is built around it. Memory verse. For even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, what precipitated this particular teaching in this moment was this silly request from the, the disciples, James and John. They asked Jesus for seats of honor in his coming kingdom. Now, what makes this such a silly request is the fact that these disciples had followed Jesus all over Israel for three years. They heard him teach. They watched him minister. They even served alongside of them. And in their experience... Jesus would have, have functioned as a servant to others, even the least of the world. And so this request by James and John was the exact opposite type of thing that Jesus would have been trying to instill within his, his disciples. He was a servant. Now, before we get too uh, much on our high horse and, and condemn these disciples for their uh, ridiculous request of Jesus, it really is a contemporary request. Now, we package them a little differently when we come before Christ, but, but we, we, we ask for similar things that James and John were asking. But let me give you a few phrases. Tell me if these are phrases that you've heard before or maybe even have said yourself. The Lord takes care of those who take care of themselves. All James and John are doing is trying to take care of themselves, right? How about this one? Name it and claim it. Prosperity gospel thinking, right? Or, or you, you, you can have whatever you want if you do not doubt. My, my favorite, make out your wish list and keep on believing and you will find yourself perpetually receiving. <laughs> you know, despite what Jesus' disciples were taught, what they, despite what they witnessed while ministering alongside of Jesus, friends, despite our own renderings of God's word, like these disciples, I gotta ask how often... Do we define greatness according to the world's definition of greatness? And then we aspire for that. Jesus calls it out in Mark 10, verse 42. He gives the world's viewpoint. He says, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. Let it not be so with you, Jesus says. Okay. Let's get right to the human condition. What are we dealing with here when we talk about this, this aspiration for greatness? 
Jesus offers us a way towards greatness, but it's in a a different model than the world offers. You realize that our world is upside down right now, right? And Jesus came to make the world right side up. It's not like Jesus turns the world upside down. It's it's the world's already upside down. Jesus came to make it the right way up. And and he's going to give us a lesson here in Mark 10 on on, uh, greatness and servant leadership. And so some of the human condition that we deal with, the first one in particular that I think we deal with when it comes to aspiring for greatness is we, we often feel entitled, don't we? That's a big word in our culture right now, entitlement. We see this in James and John, and we see it later on in the other disciples. Like James and John, I think we also, what we do is we feel like we have to put in our time, so to speak, to earn our own credibility. So what I mean by that is we labor for a, a determined amount of time for the benefit or for the sake of maybe ourself, our family, our, our school, our company. And because we've labored for a determined amount of time, because we've poured out our blood, sweat, and tears for this amount of time, hear this, we now deserve the desires of our hearts to be fulfilled. And we're deserved, right? Enlightenment, it is this, or entitlement, it's this belief that we, that we are inherently deserving of privilege or special treatment or that we have the right, the God-given right to something. Let me give you a few for instances. Maybe you've thought along these lines in the past. Man, I have worked my butt off at work this week. I have been pushing as hard as I can for the man. I think I deserve that promotion. Have you ever said that? Or I'm tired of being single. I've kept myself pure. I have sought Christ in all things. I have earned myself a good spouse. Or I'm a great father. I'm a great mother. I'm an awesome homemaker. I deserve a bigger house. You know, I work hard to provide for my family. I am grinding for my boss every day of the week, and he's coming to my office and rebuking me and telling me to do more. I get home from the office. I deserve to put my feet up, watch TV, and have everybody else wait on me. You know, you all laughed at that one because that one you've heard before. How about this? I'm really good with my finances. I tithe, I invest, I I use my money to take care of those I'm responsible for. You know what? I deserve a toy. I'm going to go out and buy a Jeep Wrangler. (laughs) Here's the thing you laugh. I actually bought a passenger van yesterday for our ever-growing family with foster ministry, but I really want a Jeep Wrangler. But but I digress. Here's the thing with entitlement. When you consider all things human, when you consider the reality we find ourselves and the fact that we are all sinners, friends, the only thing we rightfully deserve is God's judgment. Are we sure we really want what we deserve? Did James and John realize what they were asking for in their request of Jesus? Jesus actually questions their request. He says, I don't think you know what you're asking for here. <laughs> Can you really drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you really be baptized with the baptism I have been baptized with? Now, the cup and the baptism Jesus is speaking here is specifically talking about his suffering. Okay? Now, they don't know that it's suffering that Jesus is talking about, and they're like, Yeah, of course. (laughs) We can drink from the cup you drink from. We can be baptized like you were baptized. Now, we come to realize as you follow the story through the book of Acts that that they did suffer greatly for the sake of their relationship with Jesus. James was killed by the sword in Jerusalem early on. 
in, in the start of the church. John, his brother, decades later, was carted off by the Roman Empire to an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea where he was to live out his days alone with no congregation to preach to. You see, years before that, Rome tried to kill him by pouring boiling oil all over his body, but he miraculously survived that. So they're like, if we can't kill the guy, what's the next best thing? Send him somewhere where we can't preach to a congregation. Uh, joke's on Rome, right? Because what happens to John out on the island of Patmos? He's given the greatest revelation a person's ever been given about what's to come. But, but these people, uh, we, we feel entitled, right? John James felt entitled in this moment, but they had to realize the hard way that it came through service and sacrifice. What's another issue we struggle with regarding greatness? Revenge. What do they say? Revenge is best, a dish best served cold, right? We don't necessarily see it in this story, but, but I bring it up because it, 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 it implicates James and John. In Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus is, is with his disciples passing through a Samaritan village, and he's trying to minister to Samaritans while he's going through the village to get to where he has to go. And uh, the scriptures tell us in Luke 9 that the Samaritans were not kind to Jesus or to his disciples. So James and John pulled Jesus aside. They say, hey, Jesus... Can you command us to call down fire from heaven to consume these people? <laughs> Again, how often, friends, do we feel the right to certain privileges or, or the right to respect from certain people, and when we don't get it, oh, look out, right? How many of us are driving down the road, Fulton Road, minding our own business, when someone in a hurry behind us comes up to the side of us, cuts us off, slows down our flow of travel, zero to 60 emotionally like that, right? In 0.3 seconds, it's like, Excuse me? You just did what to who? Or, I don't know about you, but when I go to the YMCA, I expect there to be a treadmill available to me. Okay? I have one hour to get my run, and I expect a treadmill, and if there isn't, Lord, bring down fire from heaven, right? Consume these people. Okay, I'm simply uh, being transparent with some of my growth edges as it uh, comes to revenge. What about you? Where do you seek retaliation for the wrongs people have committed against you? Friends, it's all too easy to want to re retaliate and seek revenge when you feel like you've been wronged. So, so, so they ask Jesus, command us to call on fire from heaven so we can consume these people. You know, they're drawing off of the Elijah story when he called down fire from heaven and consumed the prophets of Baal back in, in, in Kings, the history of Israel. But you want to know Jesus' response here? The scriptures say, Luke 9, 55, he rebuked them. He said, guys, guys, take a time out. Go sit in the corner. Count to 10. He rebuked them. Going back to Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, the six times Jesus revisits the Moses' law, Moses' law to the people and he revises it. Yet you have heard it says, but I now say to you. This one, he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you can be children of your Father in heaven. So, so if greatness is found neither in entitlement or revenge, where is it found? Well, according to our focus scripture passage from Mark 10, the answer is obvious. True greatness is found in how low we will stoop in service and in sacrifice for one another. Jesus says, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom you recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it be not so among you. 
Instead, whoever wishes to be great must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave to all. Why? Why is this so? Well, Jesus qualifies it with his own life. He gives the ultimate rationale. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, pay close attention to how Jesus uh, um, titles himself there. He says, I am the Son of Man, right? The Son of Man came. It's a self-proclaimed title that only Jesus uses for himself that wasn't in existence before Jesus or the prophecies about Jesus. So, So what this means is, yes, he is a human being, but he's actually more than just that. By saying, I am the Son of Man, what he, he is saying is, I was and is the unique representation of the human race. He is not merely, friends, a human being. He is the human being. He is the person. Now consider the second phrase. For even the Son of Man came to be, not to be served, but to serve. Uh, the, the Greek word serve that's used there by, by, by um, Mark is uh, used for like the, the lowest levels of service at that time, waiting tables. So, so, so Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 27, we, we get Jesus again turning this world up, uh, right side up from being upside down when it comes to this idea of greatness. He, he says this, he asks a question that's a no-brainer question for these people and maybe for us too. He says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Well, what would be the answer? From our world standard, it's the one at the table. But then he goes, but I am, the mo- I am among the one who serves. Question to you, which is greater, the host and his guests at the table or the waiter? Jesus says, I among you am the waiter. By the way, this is one reason why my father, I never understood this until I started developing my faith in Christ. But growing up, my dad always would tell his children, you take care of the people who take care of you. But I digress. The words of Jesus here in Luke, Mark, or Luke 22 are meant to, to shock and shake up his disciples' preconceived notions of greatness. Friends, the meaning is this. The Son of Man, the one who lived the truest human life, waited upon others instead of sought himself to be waited upon. The ultimate extension of this was when he gave his life as a ransom for many, which we know he did not weeks, months later than he's giving this teaching. Therefore, if the one who created all things and holds all things together by his power and his word, if that one became a servant and waited on us, church, is there anything we we can do that we can't do? How can we do any less than what Christ has done for us? Let me end with this. In in the uh, 1870s, William Booth uh, founded the Salvation Army Church. It was kind of a social movement within the church universal over in Europe. And and, and this movement caught wind globally to where people by droves were coming over to Europe to enlist in William Booth's Salvation Army. And one man who came over was a guy named uh, Samuel Logan Brangle. Brangle was a Methodist minister who had a really nice pastorate. He was a church of a well-to-do congregation in his part of, the, of, of this country. And uh, he had aspirations one day to be a bishop w- within his denominational context. But he felt inspired to go enlist in the Salvation Army, so he picked up and moved across the ocean from America to Europe to, to enlist. And uh, William Booth had his, had his hesitancies 
would enlisting Brangle in, into the Salvation Army service. And the reason being is he said, Sir, you have been your boss for way too long. I think you may see service beneath you. And the guy said, uh, insisted, and, and William Booth finally grudgingly and hesitantly enlisted him into the Salvation Army. But to instill some humility in this guy, you know what he had him do? Shine the shoes of other trainees. So he's blackening these boots and he's muttering under his breath, have I really followed my own fancy across the Atlantic in order to blacken people's shoes? To polish shoes? And then the moment he had that thought, he got this vision of Jesus stooping down and washing the feet of his disciples. And he said as a prayer, Lord, if you wash their feet, I guess I can blacken their boots. Friends, Jesus has thrown open for all of us a competition that has a reward that most see as no reward. But for those of us who know, the reward is beyond our imagination. So I say we go for it. After all, Jesus is the one of action, right? Working diligently and sacrificially to bring health and wholeness to us, mind, body, and soul. Mark is the go gospel. Maybe we can be the go gospel people. Maybe we can stoop down as low as we can to serve and sacrifice for all, even those we deem unworthy of it. Friends, may we stoop down and pick others up and place them before Jesus Christ, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man, the person of us all, came not to be waited on, but to wait on us and to live a life of sacrifice. Therefore, how can we seek our own? Church, if our Savior was not above service, guess what? Neither are we. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you this day for providing us the quintessential example of greatness, a greatness that is found in stooping down in order to serve and sacrifice for others. Lord, will you this day help us to put away any sense of entitlement that we might have? Help us to put away any type of revenge we may seek. Help us to be people that the master leader, Jesus himself, is calling us to be. Why? So the world in which we live can be won over by love. And so your kingdom in heaven can grow here on earth with more and more people claiming faith in you. Lord, we stoop, we serve, and we sacrifice all for the glory of your name and for the good of our neighbor. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. And all God's people said... Amen.